fellow citizens. Let's, let's be let's be, be bluntly honest. Who's the heavyweight champion of the world? In my opinion, still and perhaps always will be the greatest. There's so much there. Okay, yeah. What are we doing, great champion? Your help unite our nation. The cry for freedom as only sport can do. Pay attention to the voices that are doing the framing. What we're talking about is the consumerism withheld and allotted only. Nobody's nobody's, nobody's calling. Nobody, 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 nobody's calling LeBron Black Jesus. Welcome back to Sports and Society for August second. I'm Brad. I'm here with Kyle. How are you doing today, man? I'm doing pretty well. I just watched an NBA game on a Sunday morning um, <laughs> that I had recorded, and I, I was thinking to myself, I don't think I've ever done that. Yeah, I, I, it had me thinking about when I watch sports and if that has anything significant to it. But uh, usually it's soccer or golf that I'm watching in the morning. Um, so this is the first time I think I've watched basketball in the morning. There is something really nice about watching morning sports, isn't there? I love it. Yeah, I th- I think it. Um, for me personally, it, it's it's especially when I'm like right in the middle of a school year and like kind of stressed out. The idea of like waking up on a Saturday or Sunday and watching a little bit of soccer is always really pleasant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But how about you? You've been busy this morning too. Yeah, I mean, I've been, uh, you know, so this is the 21st week that I have walked to the top of Mill Mountain from our house and back. And so yesterday, um, it rained uh, rather unexpectedly for about two hours during the window when I was going to leave the house. I wasn't able to do it yesterday, and this afternoon it's supposed to rain. So the only time I felt like I could really get it in was this morning. So uh, starting at 6 this morning, I spent uh, three hours walking up and down a mountain. So, Did you start this like right when COVID started? Yeah. So like, um, uh, I think the first time up, so I had done like halfway up and I couldn't finish it because I was in really bad shape 21 weeks ago, um, 22 weeks ago. Um, it's like a six mile round trip. If you just go up and back uh, about a thousand feet of elevation. Um, and I got about halfway up the mountain and couldn't do it. Um, and so this, but I think that first week that I made all the way up to the top, was the first week after we were working from home, like that right. we had started working from home in the middle of that week. It's kind of wild to think that it's been 21 weeks. Yeah. That seems it's, like a lot to me, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, five more weeks, half a year we've gone right. by at this point. Right. So, exactly. Uh, it does. It feel, I mean, COVID feels like we're talking, like when I think about it, it's like a couple months we've been doing this. And no, it's five, five full months really at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Anyway, it does feel crazy, too, that it's August. It doesn't feel like it should be August. Yeah, time time in uh, calendaring means so little to me right now. It's It doesn't feel like it has felt in years past, so it, it seems kind of meaningless in some ways. My daughter is screaming. I feel as though I should go check and see what's going on. Hold on just a second. Yeah, I'll go, right for back. go for it. Go for it.
All right, I'm back. Is she okay? Yes, she. Uh, I love my wife, but sometimes she gets wrapped up in her own things and doesn't focus very much on our daughter when she needs attention. <laughs> and, uh, yes. What, what uh, was the problem? What was Abby upset about? She wanted to put. She's been in her swimsuit because I've been outside, but she wanted to put her dress back on. Oh, I uh, see. And and Sarah had stayed outside to do something. And she was just losing it about putting oh. her dress on. Oh. So. <laughs> I could see how that would be frustrating. Yes. So I want attention. I want to get out of this swimsuit right, right. now. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. Anyway. Um, well, I'll jump back in if that's all right. Yeah, do it. Well, what have you been paying attention to, man? What's been on your mind this week? A few things have stood out to me. I don't know how mentionable all of them are, so they're kind of like brief hits. Uh, So don't let me drone on too long about them. But the first thing I think I wanted to point out is something that you and I have talked a lot about before, but it's the amount of violence that exists on ESPN's homepage now Mm -hmm. uh, between MMA and boxing and football, all like, Scrolling top to bottom on ESPN's homepage, you are guaranteed to see a knockout and you are guaranteed to see blood. And there's something about that that is just so troubling and upsets me every time it happens. Sometimes it's not all that hefty, but sometimes, especially if there's like three or four in a row paired with like some violent headlines, it's just so unnerving. Um, and so that was really, like, I think the last two days, especially, um, I, I, it's fascinating. Like I don't ever work to keep up with MMA, but I think they have like a, a bubble they have created. Is it, is it, do they have their own yeah, an island? Oh, an island. Yeah. I keep yeah. hearing this phrase, MMA island. Um, so I just wanted to point that out that that sucks <laughs> and I'm over it and, I, I don't like it, and I think we um, should condemn it. it. It's not okay. Yeah, and I think, you know, from as a part of me, as with everything, you know, the Hoover Dam, horrible for the environment, but also, like, uh, an amazing feat of engineering. And so part of me is like, this is a terrible thing. And the other part of me gives begrudging ap- admiration to the business case that the MMA made, knowing that their fans don't care right. about COVID. Uh, so we're just going to keep going. And they kind of have monopolized the homepage. And I think ESPN seeing those clicks. Uh, and so they're, uh, that's, uh, that's what they feed off of. And it is, it's quite upsetting. And it's like, even as someone who doesn't care the narratives, I still feel like I know some of the narratives just because they're so strong on the homepage there. Yeah, absolutely. It is. It's amazing how you just kind of absorb them. Um, which I think if, if I could put a theme here at the start to today for me, it's, it's how we absorb these things and what we absorb. Mm -hmm. And it's so closely connected with the capitalism of it, which connects to two other things Mm -hmm. that were interesting to me. And that was uh, Forbes ranked the most valuable sports teams in the world. Uh, Some surprises, but of course, a lot of non-surprises. But uh, in in order, it's NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL. 
in the U.S. and okay. NFL by far, like double NBA, quadruple MLB, and then NHL is way far behind. Mm-hmm. Uh, the order for teams is Cowboys, Yankees, Knicks, Lakers, Golden State, Real Madrid. Uh, yeah. So the Cowboys, uh, profited like almost $500 million, which is just really incredible. Uh, Hmm. this is linked with another story about money and sports and adds to the turmoil of college sports, especially the PAC 12, but, uh, the PAC 12, um, it was reported that they have been paying the LA times to cover the PAC 12. Uh, which is essentially like journalism 101 that you don't do that. Um, but yeah, they paid a hundred thousand dollars for ad revenue, uh, for 2020. Uh, and it just kind of started to leak out of the LA Times. Some journalists mm-hmm. in the newsroom started speaking out. And so that's problematic. The last thing I want to point out is, uh, Christian Pulisic scored another goal, uh, but also hurt himself. Um, and I guess I, I just had a question to throw out there. This is kind of more on the sports side of things, but how significant is he? Um, and it, it, it follows, I feel like it crosses over into sports and society in the sense of like, I, I was trying to think of how I would describe it if I was writing a headline about Pulisic right now. And I think I would say something like, this is the best spell in European soccer by an American in my lifetime. Um, or something like that. I, I don't know if we can call him the best ever in Europe, uh, but this might be one of the bo- most notable spells in Europe by an American. Who would you put uh, top of that list? So uh, that's where I, I think of other times of like when Clint Dempsey was scoring yeah. some big goals. Um, even Brian McBride kind of had a, a season or two there. Uh, Landon Donovan had some great spells. Um I'm trying to think who else, but I, I think those were the ones that stood out to me. Uh, Tim Howard, of course. Yeah, Tim Howard, I might give you, but the others, I feel like, you know, Pulisic, um, it, I think the story for me, so I think Pulisic is by far and away in the American soccer that I've watched, the most skilled and talented American player we've ever seen. Yeah. And he's now performing at the highest level we've ever seen the American perform at. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wouldn't even say in Europe because I think it's it's universal. Like if he can do this in the Premier League, it's better than any the best domestic league we've ever seen or best international campaign we've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what's interesting to me is that uh, what other times do we look at an American in a foreign league as the best at that thing? And what are the possible, in my mind, positive ramifications of us looking – globally in our sports even though we're rooting for americans we're having to absorb uh, a foreign culture to do so in some ways yeah yeah that's a really good point yeah um i don't know if you saw the new york times had a article this week where they interviewed i i'm embarrassed right now that my the names have just completely left me but uh gio reyna was mm-hmm. one of them and then the forward for dortmund What's his name? Uh, the the superstar yeah, guy? Yeah. Uh, Holland. Holland, yeah. Um, and then Thibault for France. Um, and it was, they interviewed the sons and the fathers hmm. to say what's it like to have an all-star dad and now you be an all-star. And uh, I, I think what stood out to me, and it was the same thing I would say about Pulisic, is 
there's something about those great players in Europe in that I think they're like a little bit crazy. And I mean, like crazy maybe in a good way of just like, just this insatiable, like absolute go nuts on the field kind of thing. Um, and I, that's what Pulisic is doing, um, that there's, it's just in a, another level of confidence. And I think that's what I've never seen an American show in Europe before. Yeah, his hunger. I mean, yeah, his yeah, runs. Hunger. He's running. He's got to be putting in as many miles as anybody else on the pitch out there. Right. Yeah. And so, he wants that. He wants those goals. He wants to be involved. Like it's just, uh, yeah. It's he's there. Yeah. So. And Arsenal won. Yes. Yeah, I was. I was going to add that. Yeah. <laughs> Does the FA Cup matter? Uh, any trophy matters. Any trophy matters, particularly at this point in a young manager's career. I think it speaks to steps in the right direction. Right. Um, I think we're seeing that the squad is fundamentally flawed in some ways, but that they're also there's a much feels a much more sustainable thing under uh, Arteta than I think we've seen before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they seem to have a real passion in that match. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what about you? What's been in the forefront? Um, well, I think first and foremost for me, I don't know if you saw this, but um, there's the general um, absurdity of trying to play baseball the way they're trying to play baseball right now. Like we could have just guessed this. Um, the second level, like all these players testing positive, the, the game's uh, being postponed, thinking you're still going to be able to perform the way you are, whatever. That's uh, It's absurd. Uh, the second level being some really scary stuff about um, this Red Sox pitcher. I'm forgetting his name. Did you see this? I did, no. So he's, uh, I think he, he was one of the aces for them last year. I think he was like 16-3 and three last year. Mm-hmm. Um but he uh, has been pulled for the season due to inflammation around his heart due to a case of COVID. I did see this. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's like, this is the stuff that, that why these players are going to get wise to this at some point. Um, yeah. And they're just, and, and so that brings me to my final point, which is the absurdity of Rob Manfred saying, we're going to have to cancel the season if you guys don't behave uh, in a season when none of the players really want to be playing. Um, in the situation that we're in uh, and that uh, it's just an absurd thing to put this on these players and talk about their responsibility and everything else after what we've just seen in the off season. I want to, I'm sure there will be books that come out on it later. I want to know who major league baseball was talking to that said this was a good idea and this was going to like work. Um, Or maybe this was within their plan and they kind of knew this was going to happen and they went forward anyways, uh, which are both kind of alarming things to me because I, 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 we're not scientists and we weren't in those meetings, but I don't understand how you justify that much travel and the fact that when the games are over, those players can go anywhere within the city they're in. Uh, They can, like right so like they're just yeah. they can go out to dinner if they want anywhere they want and like i don't understand like how you do that during a pandemic and think it's not going to come into the league i i don't understand it yeah particularly i mean uh professional athletes um we we love them um and we are supportive of them in many ways but i will say they often think they're invincible and they're probably not 
uh, on the forefront of people who are super concerned uh, in some ways about their own personal health in these situations. Right. I guess I, I'm I'm thinking too. I I feel like I saw headlines this week about a lot of Patriots pulling out of the NFL season. Mm-hmm. Is that true? I didn't really keep up with. I it. don't know about a lot, but a couple of prominent ones. Yeah. Um, but it is you know, and I think um, the college football stuff. What they've been told, like um, we're not. Uh, we're going to have cases like here, if you're a college football player and you hear your coach and administration say, you know, this is the plan. We're going to have cases, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, what? Right. What? Look at, look at what's happening at baseball. And you think this sport where we like breathing heavily at each other from a yard away right. for much of the game and then grappling with each other is going to be better. Right. Yep. What do you think is going to happen? Do you think they'll call the season at some point or do you think they'll keep pushing? Or both. I I I hesitate to make any yeah. guesses. I guess, and I probably, if I had to stake my uh, reputation on it, I'd probably suggest that um, they're going to cancel it. But it's probably going to be like later than we anticipate that they'll cancel it. Yeah, that's kind of how I'm feeling too. Because um, I mean, they're committed at this point, and it looks really bad for them to pull out to those fans that they're trying to impress. Whereas those that don't care and think they're stupid are not the ones that are watching anyway. Right. Um, I will say that on some level I get it um, because uh, I don't know if you saw this highlighted. You probably did if you were on ESPN, but Mookie Betts throwing a guy out a third um, with an absolute rope. Did you see this play? I didn't, but I'm excited to because that's might be my favorite thing in all of sports. Yeah. It was like a, a little blue pit down the uh, right field line and Mookie Betts comes in and just like, there's no way you think he's going to get the guy and just guns him down easily at third. And it's like, okay, that's why people watch baseball. It's the, you know, that's perhaps the most exciting play in sports. I think you could argue. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm like, okay, that's pretty cool. But you know what? I don't want to see that anymore. Right, right. You know, it's interesting. I was listening to a a basketball podcast this week um, talking about the NBA coming back, partly in preparation for this. I've been intrigued. You know, I used to listen to a lot of basketball podcasts and haven't so much recently for obvious reasons. Um, But uh, it was interesting. They were talking about how they had watched um, baseball games and like, this is not okay. Like, because um, the fans, the stadium feeling empty for a baseball stadium just feels really weird. Yep. Like every pitch, there's nobody behind home plate and all this stuff. Right. Um, whereas for basketball, somehow it felt different. And may, I was thinking about that as we watched these games this week. Like, um, what is it about basketball that makes it so that we're not uncomfortable with just watching folks in a gym? And it immediately made me think about like how much, I mean, you and I, I imagine, would, would pay – uh, I don't know about ten bucks. So it might pay five bucks to rent a movie on Amazon, which is just those Dream Team or Space Jam uh, scrimmages that they play with nobody watching. And this feels very similar in some ways. Absolutely, yeah. Is it well? That that's always the thing. I get if you really dig into like what these sports are and what comes across and why we watch. If you're watching. Major League Baseball to see a Mookie Betts throw from right field to third, you're going to be pretty bored (laughs) for a really long time, right? Like that's not why you go to a game. You go to a game to 
lounge about for like three or four hours mm-hmm. um, and kind of enjoy the slow rhythm and pace of baseball and the relaxed feel of it uh, with the potential for drama and excitement. Uh, whereas watching an NBA game, we're watching for really different reasons. And a Mookie Betts type play can happen probably every couple minutes, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's something pretty athletically remarkable happening in an NBA game on almost every possession. Yeah. Well, let, let's dive in then if you don't have anything else uh, to our main topic. Here. No, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, so this week uh, we're kind of focused on the NBA, as will not be surprising to most folks that are regulars here. Um, you know, they started back, I guess uh, it was Friday night, right? First game's back. Yes. Um, yeah. uh, and so we kind of wanted to delve in and see how we feel about it. So what uh, what game did you watch, Kyle? Uh, I watched the Raptors and Lakers. Okay, they, yeah. They, they played late, late last night. Did you? Is that what you watched? I watched the final quarter of it. Yeah, I watched some other games uh, uh, more, but that, I watched the final quarter last night. Yeah, so uh, the Lakers lost um, pretty soundly. They were in the game mm-hmm. for most of the game, but uh, Kyle Lowry kind of went off at the end, and the Lakers stars kind of disappeared at the end, and the Lakers offense seemed really bored, uh, and their defense seemed even more boring, um, which... The alarmist in me was already wondering about, like, is it possible to keep up the energy for how many games they're going to have to play to get to the end of the playoffs? It also had me wondering if the Lakers are uh, midway through the third quarter, early fourth quarter, down by 15 to 20 and saying, well, we have the best record in basketball. We have the one seed. We're going to make it to the finals. Like, we're fine. (laughs) Uh, so I wonder if it was all of those things, but, um, there was a number of other things I was looking at that I think we can kind of start to unpack, but what game did you watch? Yeah. So I watched a a good portion of that game last night and then I watched the Rockets, um, Mavs game. That was the OT game, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, which were just, I think the scoring in some of these games, I think that's what kind of the first thing that struck me is like first night that Clippers, um, Lakers game was just a great game of basketball. I mean, like not uh, not to where we I think they'll be in the playoffs, but really a good game of basketball. Um, and uh, you know, I think the Lakers' performance last night was in some ways down to hangover from how intense that previous game was. Which, by the way, leads me to believe that the Clippers are the favorites over the Lakers at this point. But um, we'll see. Yeah, um, I, the even though they lost. Um, they, they look just strong and in sync and energized and ready to go. Well, yeah, I think that there are certain, like, first off, it was just kind of nice to be, uh, like, again, I appreciate it. We talked about this a little bit last week. Like, I think I like the fact that I can watch it and it gives me some respite from the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. But um, I also, I recognize that it's different and it's important that we all see that it's different during this time. Um, you know, like there is a small part of me that um, I want to see the other players from the other teams watching because I think it'd be really cool. Like in the finals to have these guys that have just hung out in the bubble for three months or two months cheering each other on. Like when somebody gets dunked on somebody else and they're all drunk in the stands, that seems really <laughs> fun, but also probably not a good idea. But um, anyway, uh, I did see a little thing that Chris Paul's son was one of the virtual fans. 
Hmm. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that. I thought that was pretty funny. No, that's funny. Yeah. Yeah. But that had me thinking about like celebrities um, mm-hmm. being asked by NBA to be virtual fans and literally sit courtside how they normally do mm-hmm. uh, of what that would look like, which that takes me to the aesthetics of it all. What did it, what did it look like to you? Um, hmm. The actual game and court and everything. Like what were you seeing? Well, I think the first thing that I noticed um, was just how much space there is. Yeah. Like, there's so many people crammed up next to the court. And in some ways, like, I was like, this is probably how it should be. I wore, there's an anxiety that comes with everybody being so close to the court otherwise. Right. Uh, and I, the virtual fan thing, I'm not loving. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, whatever. Um, I think, uh, uh, I almost think I prefer it less gimmicky, but, you know, I, I understand that I'm not the chief audience perhaps for that that kind of thing. Right. And then I, I, I wasn't the experience of it was very interesting from also the advantage of how many cameras and different microphones they have set up. Right. Um, and so, you know, getting to hear, I think it was, um, Kyle Lowry was shooting a foul shot last night. Uh, I think it was Kyle Lowry shooting a foul. Yeah. You, know, you could hear Frank Vogel yelling at the ref. <laughs> nice. And I was like, this is a weird yeah. thing to hear, but okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I that made me think of, um, and this maybe set this aside for a second and come back to it. But uh, JJ Reddick's podcast has been really interesting since they've been in the in the bubble. And um, one of the chief things they were talking about, or have been talking a lot about, of um, if there should be like a twenty second delay, <laughs> um, because he he says like if if fans really heard everything that was said on the court. <laughs> Like we would all be getting fined a lot of money um, that just would have like, that's not interesting other than like, of course, (laughs) you know, like we know that, but we don't get to hear it all the time. So yeah, the sights and sounds are so different. Um, Some things that stood out to me are the way in which they can make it feel like a big arena uh, at Mm -hmm. the same time. And uh, again, uh, JJ Reddick was talking about this with some other players of how, uh, at a lot of the stadiums, like um, um, Barclays, Staples Center, they turn off all the lights except for court lights. Uh, and mm-hmm. so it's not uncommon to turn on your TV and see a basketball game where you can't really see people uh, mm-hmm. other than basketball. So in that way, we're kind of used to it. And he was saying the same thing you were about comparing it to watching Major League Baseball and how empty it feels. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I found that significant. The um, the sleekness of it all, I would have to say kind of like appeals to my aesthetic in some mm-hmm. ways. Um, I like the like light brown courts, clear, like black lines, um, mm-hmm. the Black Lives Matter, like the NBA logo. I, I really <laughs> like this kind of meaningless, but I just appreciate the sleekness of it all and the minimalism of it, of it in that way. Um, and then I th- it is weird to see like plastic um, glass all around the press box. Uh, yeah, I'd noticed that as well. Uh, that feels kind of weird. And then uh, not surprisingly, they have all these like digital screens just everywhere. So the amount of like electricity that's being used to put on these games is um, pretty remarkable, but also not surprising. You know, I do, um, you know, you talking about the press box makes me think about what an experience it must be to be there as a journalist. Mm-hmm. Like, 
you know, I would probably hate it because I have a wife and kid that I wouldn't be able to see for two months. But like, it's got to be kind of fun if you're a young person mm-hmm. or like you're just like kind of into it. I mean, it's uh, yeah. I mean, I imagine you're just going out and hanging out and having a good time when you're not watching basketball games. Yeah. Uh, the guy that covers NBA for Washington Post just did an interview about it. Um, <laughs> actually, he said it was like his 25th interview he's done about it. He's like, because anybody that covers the NBA that's not here is like just fascinated to know like <laughs> all the inside stuff that journalists usually probably talk about. Um, but there's only a handful of journalists that chose to go all in. Well, and I have to say, um, based on uh, this, this was a tweet I saw that I just want to—I forget who tweeted it—and I apologize, uh, but I just want to say this again uh, so that everybody knows: whatever they're paying Doris Burke is not enough. She's incredible, right? <laughs> yes, I thought the same thing. I have that in my notes of like how great she was and how boring an old Mark Jones sounds. Yeah, well, um, but, and even like the highlights for me, um, you know, I, I, I do enjoy Van Gundy, although Mark Jackson has gotten old for me. Um, but the highlights, Doris Burke and Rachel Nichols are like the people that I most want to hear from around the court, which is fascinating. Yeah. 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 Doris Burke is the best right now, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. She's incredible. Well, I did want to ask you, but just sticking with this kind of piece for a second, um, the side camera, like the the one that moves along the side, mm-hmm. do you have feelings about this? Um, I probably don't have feelings about it. I I thought you were when you said side camera. I thought you were going to talk about advertisements during free throws. Um, well, I, I I do have feelings about that. And we, I'm <laughs> I was imagining we would get to that. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, um, no, what were you thinking about it? I don't even know if I paid that much attention to it. Well, so one of the commentators, I forget who, it was there in the Rockets game, um, um, was talking about how they felt like it really added something because you could see how big and fast everybody was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like after they said that, I started paying a little attention to it. And I really noticed that. Yeah. Um, like these, it makes these guys look, because when you're doing this kind of from up above, it foreshortens everything, makes them all look, you know, roughly the same height. And like that angle from down, you know, if we were sitting courtside, it'd be kind of the same height that we'd be looking at it from. Mm-hmm. And these are huge individuals and they're moving really fast. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, uh, to me, it amplifies that enjoyment a little bit. I don't want to see it all the time, but sprinkled in every once in a while to remind me just kind of how big everybody is. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like you and I played five on five games and how crowd the court feels. Right, right. And that somehow these people were every single one of them is bigger than us, both like in terms of yes. height and width, and they still make the court feel much more open, uh, speaks to how incredible these folks all are at basketball. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, and we've talked about this a lot before too, but uh, a specific instance that comes to mind that I, I'll like never forget, it was kind of like a seminal moment for me. Uh, years ago, I was at a friend's house and w- watching football and he had this feature, he wasn't the only one that had it, but it, on Xbox where you could watch um, the whole, entire game just from the view of that camera that floats around the top of the field on the wires, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and no commentary. So it was just crowd noise, football noise, and that camera. Uh, and I think it by far was the most enjoyable experience I've ever had watching football. Um and I, I think 
that side camera at the NBA gets at that a little bit uh, and gets closer to like my ideal way of watching a sporting event, which would be mm-hmm. no commentary and just wonderful camera work uh, just to see like how great they are. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. I, I'll never forget um, at center um, going to watch a soccer game. And, uh, you know, center had a pretty good D3 soccer team, but of course it's division three. So it's not like, you know, they're not beating Louisville or right, UK right. or anything. Um, and man, everybody on that team was so freaking fast yeah. when you're, when you were standing there beside the field and you're like, man, and there, I do understand, like I was, someone explained this to me that apparently D3 soccer, a lot of these guys probably could have gone higher mm-hmm. level, but that they hurt themselves at some point in high school or whatever. And they didn't get recruited and yada, yada, yada. But man, there's nothing like being up close to see how, because I think that for you and I as part of the enjoyment is to see those amazing things, uh, and that's where I'm like, man, this is this gives me some of that enjoyment of feeling like I'm right there beside the court. Right. Um, I, I think speed is an important thing to point out about what has us watching and why we watch, and I think it is the speed of the game that makes it so compelling. But it's often something that gets misconstrued by. Uh, watching it all the time from the same camera angles. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think of Pulisic, like I would argue one of the reasons he's the greatest uh, American in Europe ever is because he's just so fast. Yeah. And I don't think we understand how fast he is. Like, I, I mean, he would be the fastest player in D1 soccer. Um, that's how fast we- he is. Well, I think like so, and that's we all get these opinions. Like Olivier Giroud, who he's playing with, has mm-hmm. this opinion of being this slow plotting guy. I can guarantee you that Olivier Giroud is going to beat you and I handily over <laughs> any distance he yeah, wants to race. Yeah, over. absolutely, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and yet he looks slow right, on that. Exactly, field. exactly. Um, what about messaging on the back of jerseys? Yeah, so. You know, it was intriguing, you know, some of the things that stood out are, you know, first off, watching the Mavs, um, that was fascinating because, of course, they've got this international flavor and they've all chosen to write the same word, uh, equality, on the back of their jersey, but they're doing it in their native languages. Okay. Uh, so, like, for Maxi Kleber, who's German, it's like a 16-letter word mm-hmm. across the back of his jersey. There's almost not enough room for it, and no one can pronounce mm-hmm. it. But um, it's interesting that they all – I was intrigued by this concept that they all came together and decided on the same concept. Apparently, Dwight Powell kind of led that conversation. This is what they settled on, which I found interesting. And then to juxtapose it with, you know um, – the Rockets, where um, most of the players seem to have messages, but um, James Harden did not. And the Lakers, where, um, you know, I think uh, towards the end, Caruso was the only player on the court who didn't have his name on the back of the jersey that had Black Lives Matter mm-hmm. on the back, which was interesting. And it's not like, I don't, uh, don't get me wrong, um, LeBron and Harden and AD don't need to justify their decisions to me right. at all. Uh, and they've done enough really positive things in many, many ways. I'm just kind of intrigued to know what that decision-making process kind of looked like for them and why, why it is the way it is. Same. I I would like to hear an extended conversation about it uh, and how they thought about it along the way as they were trying to make the decision, I think would be Mm -hmm. really interesting to hear because I would assume we would hear things about like, 
how an individual decides when and where is an appropriate time uh, to take a stance and to communicate a stance. And I think that would be a really interesting conversation to be part of. Um, it's the same thing with, you know, several NBA personnel, players and coaches uh, that did not take a knee for the national mm-hmm. anthem uh, were asked questions about it. And like you, I want to ask more questions, but not in a sort of judgment way. I'm just super curious about what they were thinking about it and how they feel about the way questions are being posed to them. Uh, so more of a, more of a like sociological type questioning as opposed to like getting at a political clickbait type of statement thing. Yeah, totally agree. I mean, like pop doesn't have anything to to say to us i mean like right we uh will will eat his uh leftovers any day i feel like but uh, <laughs> uh but he didn't he didn't kneel and like derozan came out and was like don't don't rake him over the coals and i just want to know like why you know, you've been very vocal on other things why not be vocal in this moment or what's the reasoning behind this I, i'm just intrigued yeah yeah i feel like um Similarly, the significance will will play out over a long time, but I, I think we have to remark on the obviousness of the imagery of the Lakers and the Raptors, every single person, coach and player, kneeling, mm-hmm. um, and put that alongside Colin Kaepernick uh, by himself in that preseason game. Uh, a couple years ago now back by the bench by himself with no one even noticing such that it wasn't even a story because no one noticed. Mm -hmm. Um, And the story, like using those two things is is sort of bookends to um, what I think will be one of the most significant periods, not just in our nation's history, but uh, in our globalizing world's history. So I, it seems uh, it, there's parts of me that don't want to get into that because it like uh, f- feels dramatic, maybe or like in a in a not good way. I, I may need to kind of like mind those feelings a little bit more, uh, but I also feel like maybe it's worth pointing out if that makes sense. Yeah, I think you're. I think you're absolutely right, and I think um, you know. And I go to the Premier League for this in some ways. That um, you know, up to the last week of the year, which would have been you know about two months after kind of this all kicked off, they were still every player, almost every player was kneeling on a Premier League field um, before the game. And I think there's just I really appreciated that moment and appreciated that reminder to put this in context every time um mm-hmm. and you know it's at some point it's going to go away and we're going to forget about it but to keep being reminded of it uh, over and over again i think is really uh, imp- uh, impressive and the amount of mental energy that these nba players are having to put into this stuff i mean it's enough mental energy for them to have to go play in the context they're playing being away from their family um, being in a weird environment, playing a very high level professional game that is their livelihood mm-hmm. and the rest of their lives depend upon. Um, and then to have this other layer loaded on top and to maintain that energy over three plus months is just, I, I, I find it so impressive and so uh, kind of uh, indicting of our own lack of energy in some ways, but um, uh, it, it, it push me, pushes me on in many ways. Mm-hmm, 
This maybe gets me to uh, something I thought about bringing up in the what I was paying attention to this week, and it, it's kind of a big concept. And so I don't know uh, if we even have the capacity to truly unpack it. But you know, you, we we keep hearing the refrain that sports bring us together is a justification for why we're doing these things, uh, and that message I think gets communicated in a lot of different ways. So there's some like euphemistic ways to say it. There's some more pointed ways to say it, but I think it's like, why are we doing this? And I think in many ways it feels absurd to be putting in this money and energy into these things. Um, And I think oftentimes we hear that refrain in reference to the Olympics. And I don't know if you saw uh, Michael Phelps' new documentary uh, just released this week on HBO about mental health and Olympians. Hmm. And essentially what he is shining a light on is the uh, epidemic of depression and suicide in Olympic athletes, particularly once their careers are over or after failure in the Olympics. And it it has so much in common with so many things we talk about of uh, these athletes as commodities and the leagues themselves as sort of vehicles for commodification. And I was just thinking about all of that while I was watching the game that was so full of all of this messaging that if you, as a viewer, like step away, kind of like what I think you and I were attempting to do here and say like, what am I receiving? Mm -hmm. Um, What's being thrown into my brain and what is the consequences of that? What are the costs of that? And even listening to these NBA players talk on their vlogs and their podcasts, they seem pretty happy, Um, which had me thinking about like, okay, maybe this isn't as absurd as I think it is. And it's just this thing that, can can exist in the world and we can keep shining a light on it and be critical of it. But it also maybe like, and, and this was just me talking to myself, like some self-talk of like, maybe like we don't have to be as hard on it all the time, mm-hmm. but still be critical. I, I don't know. It just put me into this space of where I was kind of suspending judgment or something like that. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, I've had some of the same thoughts, um, And I think that what's kind of come out to me in this context is how much I think we forget that it's a job for these guys. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think about um, particularly, you know, I don't think you and I have the same, we have a lot of the same ethical qualms with this way Hollywood works and the way the television industry works. And yet um, I don't think, you know, you and I feel as guilty about the fact that maybe there's still some, movies or television shows being shot right now. Um, And so in some ways I want to say like, it's um, first off um, I am not a total advocate for self care, but I do feel it's important that we have moments down and have entertainment in our lives. Um, Mm -hmm. And so if we just look at this as another entertainment industry, wherein, you know, I think we can look, this is perhaps what sets the NBA apart from some other places because it doesn't have the same inherent ills to it that football and boxing and MMA have to it. And I think it also doesn't have some of the same political uh, machinations that baseball does to it. Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, perhaps in some ways it, we can look at it and say, you know what, it's okay. There's still massive issues with this, but it's not. Uh, it's okay to enjoy this for a little while. Right, right. 
Well, in that context, then it, it takes me to two more things that uh, are coming across to me. And one is the absence of any mentioning whatsoever about the news that just came out of China mm-hmm. this week about the NBA. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the short story is that there uh, are plenty of reports of what sound like really awful abuse at three NBA camp centers uh, that the NBA has a relationship with overseas, put a lot of money into. Uh, even what these camps are is weird uh, and kind of hard to completely understand. Uh, but the the reports are that they're a mess. Uh, and they're e- the reports are easy to believe is maybe how I would say it. Um, not to mention there is one camp in particular that is happening in close proximity uh, to where Uyghur populations are um, the recipients of gross human rights abuses. And that's a big, big, big problem. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and it coincided with what I told you before we started of uh, something I latched onto as it relates to advertising and NBA games. But do you have thoughts on China before I get into that a little bit more? Absolutely. And I think yeah. – um, uh, it's the main frustrating point for me about the NBA right now because I know there's a lot of money wrapped up over there, but I think there's a lot for them to gain from a business perspective, not just from a human rights perspective for denouncing China right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's super complicated. I mean, there's some other news that came out this week that I stumbled upon that um, it appears that uh, there's Uyghur, essentially, labor, uh, forced labor mm-hmm. being used to manufacture a lot of the shoes being worn uh, and by NBA players or by fans, um, uh, which is abhorrent and terrible. Um, mm-hmm. and so that's a complicated narrative. But I really, uh, yeah, there's money at stake, um, but I, it, they've been silent too long, and I think it allows their opponents to paint a very broad brush. You know, I don't know if you saw this, um, you know, there was a, uh, a politician of some kind who tried to score political points on, you know, how you couldn't have free Hong Kong on the back of your Jersey or you couldn't have right. whatever else. And it is, I mean, it's a legitimate point as much as the rest of his point was asinine and beyond idiotic. That is a legitimate point that allows uh, your opponents to have that on you, but it's also just something that you should be, uh, fighting against anyway. So it is, uh, I have very strong feelings about it and allow myself to, f- uh, avoid them for a period of time. But it's, uh, it's about the m- most horrific thing I can imagine at the moment. Indeed. And it, it leads to so many questions. One of which that I feel it might be, or I would lobby to be one of the more prominent questions. And that is what are we exporting and why? And what are the consequences when we export something like the NBA mm-hmm. uh, or something that is manufactured by United States corporations? And what happens when we become a political stakeholder in another part of the world because of economic investment and then the messaging that surrounds that economic investment? And so for me, it leads to this place to where we have to admit and admit it in public and be comfortable with the complexity of it that we benefit from human rights abuses in other parts mm-hmm. of the world. Because if our corporations are invested in those places uh, and we benefit from those corporations, then we benefit from that abuse. 
And that's a tough conversation to have, and it's not that simple. But I feel like it's a place to start. And I think if I were to ask anything from the NBA, it would be like, okay, you want to be a leader on all of this stuff. Step up and show us how to have a complex conversation um, (laughs) about geopolitical situations and how they relate to United States corporations. Um, So that's just like, that would be my desire. Like, okay, you really want to go this route? Let's keep going. Like, let's keep going. Let's put a free Hong Kong on that court too. Exactly. Exactly. Let's, let's go for it. Um, And so this had me paying attention to stakeholders Mm -hmm. in the NBA. And I think so often when we ask the question of like, why are we trying to return to normal life? It's an economic incentive, right? Um, and so I have some trivia before we get to trivia for you. (laughs) All right. Um, let's see, how should I ask this? Um, just watching the game. So just gameplay. How many companies do you think you saw an advertisement for? Okay. Twenty-five. I know that's not the right answer, but that's what I go for. That's hilarious because it's twenty-five. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Winning. Um, yeah, just a smattering: Michelob, LG, Spalding, Toyota, Steak and Shake, Motorola, AT and T, Kia, Twitter, WNBA, Taco Bell. Yeah, you saw twenty-five advertisements. Hmm. Um, how many companies do you think you saw advertisements for in commercial breaks? Uh, another 40? 67. Okay. Yeah. So if you watched uh, the game, you saw 92 advertisements for 92 different entities slash companies. Uh, and so when I think about what makes um, – what would make LeBron James not say something <laughs> about human rights? And I think it's – I think it's simple, man – Right. Mm-hmm. Those are 92 massive corporations with really powerful people sitting at those boardrooms that have really powerful connections uh, with policymakers. Like that's a that's a lot, a lot of power. Um, and so it, it makes what those players say when they got a microphone in front of them also really powerful. Um, so it was just remarkable to me to start making the list as I started to make it, I like got to like 40 and I was like, wow. And then ending up at 92, I was like, holy cow, that's crazy. Hmm. Well, what it, what it makes me wonder, um, is to go back to the Kaepernick example. Um, and you know, LeBron is not going to do this, but the NBA is such a star driven league. What, what could they do if someone really came out and did that? Like, let's take, you know, let's take Kyle Lowry as an example. Mm-hmm. You know, he's probably second tier NBA star, maybe the, I don't know, 20, 20th best player in the NBA, something like that. Um, right, right. Um, if he came out and said, it's abhorrent what's happening in China, I call on all corporations that are using. Uyghur labor or her supporting the Chinese regime to step back from that. Like what can the NBA do? Right. Uh, like in the NFL, we saw like the, the player is not bigger than the team. In many ways in the NBA, the players are bigger than the teams and are bigger than right. the leagues. 
uh, like the Raptors are not going to cut Kyle Lowry because of that statement. Right. Um, but at the same time, I mean, he's obviously going to lose some endorsement deals. He's not, nobody's going to want to work with him, but uh, it's a, just a fascinating uh, thing to think about. And again, I want to be clear here. I don't, uh, in some ways, my harshest indictment, as always, I think for us here is with the league and those corporate entities and that the players, I want them to do better, but I'm not, uh, I'm not really angry at LeBron for not doing these things. Yeah, same. I, I think in I think if there is blame or if there is prodding um, directing it, institutions feels like a good place to start. Yeah, and again, like that, I'm not going to let LeBron off the hook. I'm not going to say it's okay not to talk about China. Um, right. But that being said, I'm not going to like shut it down. Uh, we're not going to cancel LeBron because he doesn't want to talk about China. He's got a right. powerful voice and has done many good things in other places. Right. Well, overall, where did where did it leave you watching a little bit of NBA? It left me thinking I'm not going to watch a ton of games, um, but that I will pay attention and when the conference finals happen because I think Clippers Lakers is going to be super compelling, um, and potentially something like Bucks Raptors could also be really compelling. Um, uh, I'm looking forward to that, uh, and at the end of the day, I also really like the Jersey stuff. Um, it gave yeah. me stuff that I wasn't anticipating. Um, yeah. Like seeing Kyle Lowry wear education reform was just super cool. Like, yeah, I agree. Like the fact that it, we're giving them a voice and I get to know what matters to Kyle Lowry a little more than I did before. Uh, and to think that that's the thing that uh, he's hanging his hat on there. I, I really appreciate that. I really like the messaging of the jersey belonging to the player in that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you think about how much debate there was if they should put advertisements on jerseys uh, a couple years ago. And I, I just love the idea of a player having say of what is on his body. Mm-hmm. It kind of extends the idea of what a tattoo is and what it stands for mm-hmm. for a player in that way. Yeah, I, I'm with you. And I we're exactly the same. I, I don't think I'll watch a lot of games until uh, those last two or three series in the playoffs. Yeah. And it is, uh, it still makes me a little uncomfortable. Um, but I think it's a kind of a good discomfort type thing. Like it's not, it's escapism, but it's not total escapism. Right. Right. <laughs> All right, man. Well, We'll be keeping you up to date because I'm sure there'll be more news to share uh, coming up. Indeed. Well, give me some uh, more trivia here. All right. Last week I, I asked uh, you. I aced that last test. Yeah, yeah you next crushed one. it. You crushed it. Last week I asked you which uh, sport garners the highest volume of betting. Um, I believe you didn't wager a bet. Uh, on who it was, but uh, it was soccer, which gets 70% really? of sports bets. Yeah. Um, and then. Huh. Sorry, I'm just kind of blown away. I, I'm shocked that it's not boxing or horse racing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they were on the list. I want to say soccer was by far like nothing, nothing was even close. Um, like the next closest was like 20% of what soccer gets. This really makes me question how much we don't understand about European society and how much betting is happening over there that we have no idea about. 
Well, in the laws, they make it possible for so many fans in countries around the world to wager bets mm-hmm. on uh, what happens in England. Yeah, well, yeah. I, you know, I, I'm sure you remember the advertising for betting and gambling stuff when we were there, but it never hit me like this is a massive issue. But maybe it is a massive issue, and we just they don't talk about it. Yeah, yeah, I, I have always tried to make sense of what it is that is my. Why do I have a, such a distaste for betting, but not pay attention to it at the same time? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, this one is is maybe kind of meaningless, but as I was watching the NBA and as I was watching the Lakers in particular, they looked old to me. <laughs> uh, they felt like an old team. Uh, and so I was wondering who the oldest player on the Lakers is. Do you have a guess? Oh, Interesting. Oldest player on the Lakers. I'm just trying to run through the the roster in my mind here. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh, Dwight Howard. It's a good guess. It's not Candavius Caldwell Pope, is it? It might be. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. um, I will say only nine players in the league are older than this player. Interesting. Okay. So tune in next week for that. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all for listening. Give us a rating and review wherever you listen to this, and we'll be back next week. But thanks again, Carl. Thanks, man. To pay attention to the voices that are doing the framing. What we're talking about is the consumerism. Withheld and allotted only. Nobody's, 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 nobody's calling LeBron Black Jesus. I was a huge Dikembe Mutombo fan.